The following podcast is a Green Fresh Media production. Welcome to Is There Kale in My Teeth, the podcast. I'm your host, Rifki Rubinowitz, an interior design trained lifestyle and wellness expert, mom to three girls, and editor of Mitchbaha's Family Room magazine. On each podcast episode, you will meet incredible women who have empowering, entertaining, and educational messages to share with me and with you. Stick around. It's wild and it's raw, just the way we like it. Welcome to Kale in My Teeth, the weekly live to podcast show that I host featuring empowering women discussing their market niche, running like, you know, the spectrum of conversation from wellness, lifestyle, relationship, nutrition, and fitness. I'm so excited to have Alea on. This is the only, only in the past three years, the second time that I've done this, where I'm bringing on the same guest for a part two by popular demand. And because I also just want to chat with you a little bit more. I love that. So please introduce yourself to any of my followers or listeners later on if you don't know you yet. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Alea, Valeby Coaching. I am a sex and relationship coach. I think I have an equal dose of passion for education, pleasure, and advocacy. I think mm-hmm. that would be wrongs of what I do. Then I've been known to go on a rant about something or another. I just have thoughts on a lot of things. And more than anything... I just am a big, big, big fan of people creating the lives that they want to be living. Mm -hmm. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever you need more of or less of in your life, I want to help you have that. Love, love the way you capsulize that. It's it's very hard. One of the hardest things about being multi-passionate or multi-hyphenate is coming up with a really easy, you know, cocktail party intro or elevator pitch. So well done you. Well, well done Mimi Hecht. Okay, perfect. I'll, ta- I'll take whoever it is. Yes, Mimi is one of my go-to people to create taglines or phrasings or, you know, things like that. We all need those in our lives. Yeah. So as you guys know, I usually, you know, begin each session with a very specific pointed trajectory of what I want to talk about. And while I did create a very concise list of questions for Alea, because I know chances are we'll get to one or two because we end up extrapolating and one question becomes the entire conversation. Um, Because your skill set is so diverse, it was hard to kind of pin it down as you know. So just to give you guys a little bit of insight on what we're talking about tonight, we're talking about relationships. But to break that down, we're talking about relationship recourse or relationship renewal. You know, when you have a snag in a relationship, when that becomes just, you know, a very standard lull and routine and, you know, ways to recalibrate or when that's a little bit of a red flag um, of something else. So with Alea's wisdom, I'd love to kick off the questions. Let's do it. I'm Let's ready. Do it. Amazing. So the first question that I want to a little bit cover is what are some common misconceptions in relationships in general? And just to give a disclaimer, we're talking about romantic relationships 
relationships with your children, relationships with your friends, with your coworkers. It's just at large. And by misconceptions, I mean something a little bit more than you guys look picture perfect, you probably don't fight. I'm talking about things that you get a lot in your DMs that you would like to debunk as a misconception. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I love this question. And I think that questions like these are so important because people get really stuck in misconceptions thinking that they are truths. And mm -hmm. so you're confronted with something that you think is true and then your life or your relationship isn't matching that, you go down a spiral of thinking something must be wrong with me or with us. And then you don't really see solutions because the solution feels like the misconception. The misconception itself feels like the answer, right? Like when people think like, oh, they must never fight. So then that feels like the truth for you. So then the, the answer in your relationship is there must be just be something wrong with us because we do fight. So we can't actually find our way out of the, you know? So a big misconception, first of all, I just wanna say that I'm talking quieter because I have played back some of my lives and I heard myself shouting. I don't know, like the audio translates so intensely on lives. So if you guys cannot hear me, let me know. But I am just trying to speak in a normal inside voice. It's funny you say that because I remember from our last live, I'm such an active listener that everything you're saying, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every time I do that, you cut out. So I'm like trying to be like, <laughs> but <laughs> as you know, so if I'm quiet, that's why. So sorry, bringing it back to the misconceptions and common misconceptions in relationships. So one of my favorite misconceptions is the misconception of love will conquer all. I love that one. Where love is all you need. Or so long as you love each other, you can work everything out. Any of those narratives, I want to just, I want everybody to know that it is not true. Love does not conquer all. Sure, you are going to need a certain amount of love in order to feel invested or willing or interested enough to conquer certain things. But love does not conquer all, and it also shouldn't. So let me break this down to like kind of two scenarios. One is that there are certain moments in relationships where just because you love each other, it's not enough. There has to also be compatibility. And, and again, I'm keeping this for friendships, romantic relationships, it's irrelevant, right? You have to also have compatibility. You have to also have shared values. You have to also have enough skills within both of you to create a relationship that serves you. And just because you love somebody so much does not mean that you two should be in a relationship or that your relationship will for sure be great. Love itself is not proof that this can work. And then the flip side is that when people think that love is all you need or if I love somebody, then that must mean that I should be here, etc. then people actually stay stuck. They, they don't speak up enough. They don't assert enough boundaries. They don't work through things enough. They don't leave when necessary because they allow love to be the deciding factor. And love is not the deciding factor in relationships. So I have two follow-up questions. The first one is, would you be able to capsulize what are some general deciding factors in relationships? Mm -hmm. I think a big one is a desire to be here, right? In all relationships, you know, do we want to be here, right? Do, do both of us want to be in this relationship? Then do we have the capacity for it, right? At this point in my life, you know, I hear this a lot with friendships, right? Where people are like, you know, my friend just wants more for me than I can give. 
right? Sometimes we're at capacity with how much we can invest in relationships and how much we have to offer. And sometimes that works for the other person where it's like, okay, like I love what you have to offer. Like, right. You with your space. You're like, <laughs> I cry every time we talk, you gotta stop. Mm -hmm. It's like less is more. Right. But sometimes relationships run into conflict because it's like the capacity that I have is not enough for your needs. Right. And how do we navigate that? You know, another important thing is, do we have the skills? But more than do we have the skills is, are we willing to learn them? You know, and that's, that's another misconception about relationships is that like who you each are today decides your relationship. No, right. And it's, it comes hand in hand with, please don't date potential, right? So it feels confusing, right? That's another misconception is that like, if somebody has the potential, then like we'll be good. I see the potential, you know? And what I find so fascinating about potential, and I actually heard this concept from Lauren Kren, who is just a really profound um, relationship coach. And he explained that a big part of feminine energy is our capacity to see beyond what's in front of us. Feminine energy, in a sense, like really, really, really channels a portion of like spiritual wisdom, right? Like in Judaism, there's the concept that women, which is really feminine energy, has been a yasera, right? An added dose of intuition, right? So what we call, let's say, feminine intuition is in a sense, we can actually see someone's potential and it's so real to us because we are actually seeing the fullness of someone's potential. Like we're, what we're seeing is correct. That is actually their highest potential. And so the challenge with that is, is that then let's say, I'm going to speak for me because like I'm a woman with a, a strong dose of feminine energy, right? So we have this risk of dating potential and we'll date potential thinking like so strongly, like, no, they're for sure going to get there. Like, this is for sure where they're heading. I can see it so clearly. And we're like, this potential is the actuality. But we have to remember, like, you're actually dating what is. You're in a friendship with what is. Sure, you can see their potential and, and it is very clear and they have that. But make sure that, A, you're really, really relating to what is. And then on the flip side of, like, what does a relationship need to be healthy is no one's going to be, like, all of who they are right when you're forming a friendship with them or right when you're starting to date them, like we evolve, we grow, we become higher, better, more favorite versions of ourselves. But so it's, do they have the skill set that I need? And if they don't have this skill, can they learn it? Okay, I have more to say. Wait, am I like losing you? Because I have like, I could keep going with this. Are we good? No, no, let's finish this thought. I'm still with you. Okay, so, and this is another concept that I learned from Tony Robbins, and it is so profound. So Tony describes that there is a triad of relationships, right? When you're looking to build a new relationship and where this is, if you want to hire an employee for your business, if you want to marry somebody, if you want to form a friendship, whatever it is to see if the relationship is going to work, you examine the triad, like a triangle, three components. Can they, will they team fit? Okay. This is how you know if you're going to have a successful relationship with somebody. So a is team fit. Do we click personality wise? Do I get along with this person? Would I want to work side by side with this person? Would I like to be this person's roommate? Do we, can we be friends? Can we have fun together? Do I like their sense of humor? Team fit, right? And then we look at out of my needs, 
and the relationship's needs or the job at hand, can they do it? Can they meet my needs? Can they get the job done? Can they support me? And then, uh, right, because we're not always everything right away, so some things they can't. So then we move to, will they? Will they learn, right? Can they do it? No, not right now, but will they learn? Are they willing to? Will they put in the work for it? So when you're forming relationships or when you're examining relationships, that's what you explore. Can they, will they team fit? People get really stuck, right? They choose two out of the three and they pray for the best. Yeah. I think that it brings us so full circle back to your first misconception, which is love does or does not conquer all. Because referencing the first time that you were on Kale and My Teeth, we spoke a lot about love languages. And what's coming to mind for me is that we discover that my love language is space. And when I am vibing enough, I'm removing the word love, but when I'm vibing enough, I'm willing to forego my need for space. I require less space because naturally I am willing to, can I, will I, the team fit is stronger because the desire and the instant compatibility makes me more desirous of shaping myself into your love language and your needs while still upholding mine. And it's without all of this, you know, philosophical jargon, what I'm basically saying is when you want to hang out with people, they don't annoy you. <laughs> yeah. It's that simple. And so you can, you can love them, but there are these components that make it need to be the proper, you know, smoothing. I want to ask you a question on, on this conception that I feel very strongly about. What do you think about the philosophy about people who say you shouldn't go to bed angry? <laughs> so I don't know if you saw, but I, I actually did a whole story about that. Yeah. I actually to submit what's relationship advice that you got mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you tell me how you felt about it. Did you love it? Hate it? Are you confused? And then I like analyze them all. And the number one, like the most common one was don't go to bed angry. And I was like, why? <laughs> why not? First, and it's like twofold. First of all, sometimes the best thing that your relationship needs is sleep. Like, how successfully are you gonna be able to navigate an intense, draining conversation if you're exhausted? So better that you go to sleep and come back to it the next day when you have the energy for it and you're exhausted and drained. Like you're not gonna be your better self if you're exhausted. Now that being said, that comes down to, you can keep going if you're tired if both of you are willing. But what often happens is that one person in the relationship says, I'm tired, can we pick this up tomorrow? And the other person is like, what? No, we need to do this now. They need to take it so personally, right? And so, mm -hmm. and so within that, I would encourage the person who wants to stay up and to keep going to consider, A, does your relationship need a night's sleep? Because if your partner needs sleep, then your relationship and this conflict needs sleep, right? And B, then I would have you go inward and think inside yourself. Why is it so difficult for me to put this on pause? Now, some, some of that answer is obvious, right? Like, obviously, we don't like to sit in conflict. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to do that, right? But if it's like to the point where you will push your partner to stay in a conversation when they ask you that they can't, and they have asked you for a break, and they're exhausted, and you're like forcing them, right? Because 
you have to do this tonight. So then I ask you to like kind of examine within yourself, what are you trying to escape from? Can you not handle a night of discomfort? Yeah. Is it like a struggle with self-regulation within yourself? Mm -hmm. Can you not handle one difficult night, right? Or maybe it's something deeper. Maybe you're feeling insecure in your relationship and you're like, our relationship cannot survive if we don't sort this out now. A lot of anxious attachers really, really, truly feel so threatened by going to bed angry because conflict is threatening to them. They're like, I need our relationship to be okay. I need to know that you're okay with me, that you still love me, that you still choose me, that we're get through this, that, are, that we are safe, that you are still here, that you are still committed, right? So then it's like, it's not we can't go to bed angry. It's I need to know that we're okay. And I cannot wait until tomorrow night for that without freaking out. Right. Often what happens is, is that the avoidant is like, you are really freaking me out with the intensity of your needs right now. Like I need to shut down because this is too much for me. Like back off, you know? So I think that if we just suspended that rule of like, can't go to bed angry. And it's like, to the best of our ability, we like to resolve things as soon as possible. And we leave space for needing breaks or needing sleep. And my practical advice for that would be that if you are pausing a conversation because one of you needs a break or you're going to sleep, that the rule should be, we only pause a conversation after we have chosen a time to reconvene. Ooh, that's nice. And that gives the avoidant or the tired person, the break need, while giving the anxious or the one that wants to keep going, the predictability and the safety that they need, that we will come back to this. I mean, that's a great parenting technique. I always try to think of the transference. They're just many people. And it's sometimes easier to come up with these methods of connection or discipline when it's a child who it's so clearly all they're asking for is attention and an endless amount of your love. But we forget that as humans, you still just want attention and endless amounts of love. So if you kind of dial that back, and I'm sure there's terminology bringing up words like inner child, but I almost want to stay away from that because a lot of people's eyes glaze over when you start talking about that. But if you really think about it like that, like what is somebody who's desperate for attention and love, what would they need now? Sometimes the tired partner can't handle the pressure of confirming the time. Thank you for saying that. I'm glad you said that. In that situation, I would say that you guys have, you have a general relationship rule that if we pause a conversation, we revisit within 24 hours. Let's say you could either have that general rule or you could say, I'm too tired to pick a time, but tomorrow, sometime during the day tomorrow, I'll bring it up and we'll pick a time then. That's like, that's exactly <laughs> what I would vibe with. <laughs> I can't even express myself. Like the, the way that respectfully the ball is in my core, gives me ownership of the decision, doesn't make me feel caged in and makes me want to reinitiate because I don't feel like there's a gun to my head. Yes. Delicious. Yes. Okay. And especially if you are the avoidant in the relationship and you want to support your anxious partner's needs, by you telling them, I will bring this back up again tomorrow is such a gift to an anxious attacher who generally feels like they are always the one initiating the relationship movement. And so for you to say, I'm gonna bring it back up is like such a gift. Mm. Yeah. Oh, everyone's so gifted in this situation. 
Yes. I want to bring you into a little bit of my lesson plan for the rest of the night. And if you answer quick enough, you can determine the order of business. So <laughs> I would like to cover readers' questions, which are diverse, deep, and you guys are brilliant. So I want to cover that. I would also like to cover my personal questions, which talks about, you know, dangerous buzzwords that we're throwing around, why they could be helpful, why they could be dangerous, um, when is a, you know, when a relationship poses red flag symptoms, things like that. And the other thing, the dessert of the evening or the appetizer or the main course you guys can choose is I do want to talk a little bit about the delicious relationship that you gave us a glimpse into between you and Joey, your husband, non-husband, fiance. <laughs> <laughs> and so you guys can let me know what order you want to talk about this until you guys answer. I am going to ask a question that I had written, Alea and Joey, sorry. I'm surprised you asked for that first. What? No. <laughs> um, so that at the end of this live, I have a special announcement that not announcing on my Instagram, it is an announcement that I'm just sharing here. So Rifki, I'll let you decide when we do that. But I have, I'm that influencer that has like exciting news to share a la Gitsy Burger. You know what? I do want to take a moment to call out all of these reels and TikToks because I'm so tired of everyone making fun of us, okay? Sometimes we create a little bit of buzz. It's a marketing technique, or sometimes we're just so excited about the thing that we've been working on, but we don't actually have clearance to share it yet. I will continue doing all the things that everybody makes fun of because it's probably just natural for me. And as many reels and TikToks as you guys want to make, I hope you get good views. Yeah, and, and you know what? If I'm creating something literally just for you guys, like just for you, you better believe I'm going to tease all of you about it. I you mean nothing. My entire career is a volunteer relationship. Yeah. Like you have to pay for it, but it's for you. <laughs> I actually live off. I pay my bills based off the energy that you give me when I give you free gifts. I literally call like LADWP, like Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. And I'm like, I got the energy of like, 200 hearts you like you guys are worried about climate change all i gotta do is tease something to my followers let us talk a little bit about your current and previous and present and future relationship mm -hmm. so within the capacity that you want to share i'd love to hear your origin story and then kind of bring us up to date where you are right now wow Nope. I know, I know. I usually ask more pointed questions, but because I want to be so super respectful, um, like to the way that you want to share this, I might interrupt you to kind of lead you in the direction of what I feel is productive to talk about. But in general, your whole, your whole story feels very productive to all of us. So. so I do want to preface it by saying that, which I shared with Rifki already, is that like, in a way, I'm still unsure how I want to share this and, and how much I want to share. And I definitely also feel like to get into any specifics and stuff, I would want to do that most likely with Joey. I actually offered him if he wanted to like hop on to the live and answer questions, but he's tired. He's like on the East Coast. So okay, God. well, you are in a very safe space because I will never, I'm, I'm like so obsessed with privacy and respecting my like privacy and friends who respect my own. So this will be done completely with delicate nature and just love in my heart and protection of your journey. Yeah. So it's more so I trust you. It's more so that there are certain things that like I haven't really discussed with him 
of like, how would you want to share this? And in what capacity? And how much would you be comfortable with me saying, etc. So I'm also kind of being mindful of that, in that sense, like, I don't want to share too much without like, I really need his permission, you know, like, that's the type of relationship we're forming, like he wears the pants, and he's like in charge. Mm-hmm. And I refer to him. Relate. Let me ask you something. Why don't we find a way to talk about this um, in the manner of which we are playing into the theme of tonight, which is about relationships. And it's not specific to your relationship. We can talk about your relationship in the way that it helps shed light on the ongoing theme that we have going on. Yes. So we'll do that. I do want to say, by the way, that, that was a joke about what? Just yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'll, I'll say this. First of all, just for any of you who, who don't actually know, I was married to Joey. Uh, we got married in December of 2013. And then we were married for four and a half years before we got divorced. And then we were divorced for three years. And now we are engaged again. And we are getting married on, on our wedding anniversary, actually. I know. Wait, I have more. So I, it was my thought about the anniversary thing. And it's really because in, in a very profound way, December 22nd never stopped feeling like my wedding anniversary. So it almost felt like, why, like that is my wedding anniversary. Like, why would that change? You know? And I just really loved how full circle it felt, et cetera. So I, we chose the same English date. We like settled on it. And then I was texting with my cousins about the date. And honestly, like, to be honest, I had I'd forgotten when the Hebrew date was. Like, I forgot, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so my co- Mimi looked it up and she was like, Alea, it's the same Hebrew and English date. Okay, wait, I just, for anybody who's listening, um, the Hebrew dates go by the lunar calendar. So they're very often completely misaligned with the mainstream I don't know what the actual scientific term for the other calendar solar solar (laughs) solar calendar so this is like really unlikely and uncommon how often does it happen so i i've heard that technically it happens every 19 years but done so with us though is okay so the way it works with jewish dates is that jewish dates start the night before so after sundown is when the date changes in the, on the Hebrew calendar. So technically a Jewish date goes from sundown to sundown. So our date is December 22nd, but on December 22nd after sundown is the Hebrew date. So that's why it's not every 19 years, but it means that our chuppah, which is gonna be our Jewish wedding ceremony, we're having it after sundown so it's going to be the Hebrew date as well. Yeah. Isn't that wild? So one so, of my good friends is pregnant and she was like, and she's not going to be able to be at the wedding. It's too close to her due date. And she's like, can you just get married in March? And I'm like, if it wasn't like way too obvious that I have to get married in December, I'd maybe think about it. That is crazy. Oh my gosh. So let's talk a little bit about what those for that first block of four and a half years were like for you guys? The marriage? Yes. So I think that we had some elements. I mean, in general, one of the things that like 
we kept reflecting to each other or to other people when we spoke about our marriage, our divorce. It's like along the way, it kept coming up like this is not a typical divorce. We are not a typical divorced couple. And like in some ways, I think it's really powerful because in some ways, I think that we can be models to couples that are going through divorces, that like we're moving away from the old narrative that if you're getting divorced, it has to be ugly and biting and you have to talk badly about each other or think badly or animosity or sides or like, well, if we're getting divorced then I can't be nice to you anymore. And like, we cannot have like a respectful conversation with each other, you know, like there's a lot of that in, in relationships that dissolve. And listen, I get it. Sometimes people get divorced because they're not able to be respectful to one another or because there's animosity or because they are mistreating one another. So then it's not really surprising that in the divorce process as well, but sometimes couples I think have more capacity to be more respectful and amicable in their divorce. But there's this like narrative that like, if you get divorced, you can't like be friendly to one another or supportive or kind or collaborative about it. You know, and I really think it's it's so powerful to see examples of like, you can get divorced and still be like, we never needed like a go between, you know, like the year after our divorce, we still filed taxes, we were still legally married. So like we filed taxes together. And it wasn't like, like, I need to like have somebody reach out to you. You know what I mean? Like, I just like messaged him. And I'm like, we file like we're still legally married like let's file taxes together this year like send me your documents you know part of this i just want to also honor the fact and acknowledge that part of the way that we navigated our divorce is because we also never stopped loving each other right that was never the question it wasn't a question of like do we love each other or not but we also continued to hold on to like i will still treat you lovingly right even if we are no longer in this container. And even if you're not my person here, and even if I'm gonna be dating other people, I can still keep treating you lovingly, you know? And I think that was really a testament to both of us that we were each able to remain committed to that individually. And for me, I'll speak for myself, it was like, regardless of what's happening here, regardless of why this relationship is ending, regardless of whether you know, you might be doing things that are very painful for me or hurtful or upsetting. It's in my alignment and my desire to continue protecting you, honoring you, treating you with integrity, right? So like, we never spoke badly about each other to other people. Like, you know, like, and that was something that both of us did. Like, it was always like, you know, I remember Joey telling me this story of like how he bumped into somebody who found out that he got divorced. Like the guy said something like offensive about me, like about like, oh, you got away, like something, you know? And Joe was like, excuse me? And the guy's like thinking like, right. the guy divorced her. Like, of course he's gonna be like down to talk badly about her right. or like appreciate my joke. And Joey's like, excuse me? She's amazing. <laughs> he's amazing. Like you don't know anything. Don't speak about her like that. And again, there are certain situations where there's not, it's not possible in certain situations where you have to say the truth about people. And I think especially when kids are involved, I wish that we could move toward a new experience of divorce or relationships, you know, um, um, coming apart where we were still able to maintain our own integrity toward one another 
where it's like, I can still, especially if you have kids together, you know, where it's like, I can still be respectful. I can still be kind. I can still be supportive while still getting the support you need. Like if, if your spouse cheated on you, right? I'm not asking you to like walk around and sing their praises, like rage, get angry, call them out, vent, you know, but it's also think like, how do you want to navigate that? Like, can we create new definitions and new narratives around divorce? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the interim between, you know, in that three year block where you were you know, divorced and living separate lives. What separate experiences did you guys have that ended up helping you find your way back to each other? And I guess my question is in general relationships as well, can distance bring you closer? And at the same time, almost the reverse question is, can growth create distance? Mm -hmm. I love, I love everything about this question. First of all, I love that you are asking this question because I think that, you know, you hear a story like ours and it sounds like a fairy tale and you're like, oh, they just must have loved each other so much that they just couldn't live without each other and love brought them back and they're just like moths to a flame and, you know, and all of that. And like, yeah, there is truth to that in itself, but I love that you're seeing that there was no reunion without the process in between. Like, how did we get here? That we each had to, it's not like we remained frozen in ourselves for those three years and then came back together because had we not taken those three years and done what we did in those three years, we would not have been able to rebuild what would have changed, right? Yeah, and at the same token, while you're even within a relationship or looking for a new one, if you're on different growth journeys or if you're on your own own growth journey, that can open up a new way of thinking and a new, you know, pattern of behaviors that can lead to distance. So, you know, even though the growth ended up yielding a result that is the thing of fairy tales, that in and of itself was a risk that could have led, not a risk, but that could have led to a completely different ending to the story. So I guess my question is, what kind of behavior patterns and ways of thinking and alignments and methodologies did you separately and together integrate and renew within yourselves to find yourselves here tonight? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the biggest thing, I also want to just touch on something you say before I go into that longer answer, is that the only way for this rebuilding to have happened was a complete letting go. So it's not like I spent three full years making my way back to him. It's not like he spent three full years every day thinking like I'm, I'm for sure going back to her. Like we are getting back together. We each had to completely let go of this relationship, this container, each other, in order to really, really get to the truths of where do I need to grow, right? Because so long as you're growing in order to be in a relationship with that person, how genuine, how authentic, how personalized is your work, right? It's like, if you're only doing this work to get back together with me, how true is it? I need to know that you would have done this work regardless, that this is who you are, that this is who you are becoming, right? Because it's also, it's like, well, what happens if I tell you that I'm not interested in getting back together? Are you still going to honor your growth? Are you still going to be this new person? Are you still going to stick to your therapy, to stick 
to your new commitments to follow through on your promises? Like, are you only going to be nice to me or respectful or collaborative so long as there's this promise of us? That's not real. This is partially why I love fitness and discussing the science of nutrition so much. And you're probably like all, everybody who's listening is probably like, how do you come to this correlation? But when your goal is not about personal development and when your goal is, the goal is the goal, as opposed to the process of the goal being part of the goal, then you completely lose sight. And then your goal is so dependent on the results that you can't even achieve anything. For my own personal line of work, I started what I'm doing because I want to put out a cookbook. Along the way, so many other micro goals happen and that's not even really my goal so much anymore. So mm-hmm. I just feel like it's important to kind of understand how that really inspiring and empowering way of thinking can appear in so many other small microcosmic ways of life and not in this, you know, like, like symphony of emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it has to be that I can trust that this is your truth and your journey and you're committed to it, regardless of what you're getting for it. Right. Right. Are you doing this? Because this is actually your path and your truth. And I think that we each, during those three years, had different moments of, like, never getting back together with him. Like, it's not happening, you know? And then it's like, okay, well, then who am I in this time? So that was very important to be able to do our work as individuals. And then in terms of, like, what did we do in that time? So let's say for me, I'll speak for me about this, it was really sitting down and you know in my first year after the divorce I was like I'm not dating at all like it was like an absolute no for me I was like I am not interested in dating I'm not entering a new relationship because I just knew very clearly that I wasn't interested in in repeating this one like I'm not interested in date in marrying him again only this time you know he's blonde and his name is Jack like if I actually want to build a new container I have to do this internal work. So I was like, I'm not interested in dating at all, you know? Um, And I like kind of dove in. I was like, I'm figuring this out. I was like, I'm not going to be that person that's divorced, you know, that's five years after their divorce and is still like drowning in their divorce and still can't form healthy relationships and still doesn't know how they got here and is still doing their same patterns. I was like, I'm doing this now. Like, this is not going to destroy my life. Like, this is not taking over my future. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this work. So I, like, dove in. I mean, I went in. Like, I had multiple coaches. I went to Tony Robbins events. I went to retreats. I read the books. I did, like, the, the work on myself. I journaled, you know? Like, I just went in. And some of the things that I looked for and put my attention on was, how did I get here? Um, why was I drawn to him? Why was I drawn to certain patterns in our relationship? How did I contribute to the toxicity of our marriage? What was my shit, right? What was my shit? What do I need to change? What followed me from my childhood that I brought to this relationship that didn't serve us? What is unhealed in me that contributed to why this didn't work? Why did I allow certain things to go on? Why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I have better boundaries, right? Why didn't I express my truth more? And then within that is, what is my truth, right? What do I need in a relationship? And what was I looking for in a marriage that I needed to have found in myself? 
or that I needed to have found in my friendships? What was I, what patterns was I repeating, right? Like it was all of that work also while really, and this was very, very, very important. And for anybody who has gone through any sort of breakup, friendship, um, romantic, marriage, partnership, etc. A big thing was that I like sunk into grief. So I want, I want to also explain that by the time I got divorced, I had already been healing my codependency for two and a half, for two and a half years, mm-hmm. already brought conscious discipline into my life. So I had already been working on, you know, tuning into my emotions and self-regulation and emotional healing, all of that stuff. So I was like already on the path, which I'm going to get to because that answers your other question about growth and distance. But so I was like, when, when, when this happened, I was like, I'm, I'm ready to grieve. It was like, I'm going to go all into this. Like I am going to sink into grief. And I had, I mean, like I had the most incredible support. I had the most profound coaches and therapists. And one of my coaches um, who actually worked for conscious discipline for 17 years. So she was like, she's like an expert at um, like really navigating emotions. She really, really guided me through grief. You know, I remember one time messaging her being like, I don't feel anything. Like, I just, I'm not feeling anything. I have zero motivation for anything. Nothing matters to me. I don't care to do work. Like, I don't want to show up to anything. And I also don't care that I don't feel anything you know, and I'll never forget, she wrote back, welcome to depression, mm-hmm. you know, and then she went on to explain, you're in the depression phase of grief. Mm-hmm. This is what it feels like, this is how you welcome it in, you know, and it was like, I also just allowed myself to flow through the phases of grief. So like, I was in depression for three months. And like, I was like, okay, this is where I am right now. Like, welcome depression. Like you're, you're allowed to be here. I will ride you out. Like, you know, I'll just, I'll surrender to you. I'll be in depression for as long as my body needs, for as long as my grief needs, you know? So a lot of that is how I got here today. I surrendered, okay, kidding, whatever. I fought a lot at different points in the process. I, I don't think you're romanticizing it. I think obviously, you know, talking about it on this side of the journey like it becomes into more of like a, a, a passionate storytelling. But I think anybody who's listening that has a brain, and I think that's all of you, understands that this is the telling over of a journey. And when you, dis- when you discuss surrendering to grief, that means surrendering to hours and hours of being in bed crying. That doesn't mean sitting in bed and being like, come for me. Like, I don't think that's what anybody thinks. Having said that, while you are telling us this, I would love to remove a little bit of the romantic, like the romantic elements of it so that, you know, if anybody is going through this or has somebody in their life who's going through this, they can understand what these things are and look like as opposed to saying, well, you said you were going to surrender, like, you know, surrender. So I would love if you could bring a little of that as well. There is nothing romantic about grief. (laughs) I think the romanticism that you're feeling is that I am an expert orator, beautiful way with words. So I can tell my story in a way that sounds beautiful and like, and impactful to listen to, you know, and also, yes, I'm talking about it today. It was different back then, 
But the actual experience, when we look at it, like when we zoom out and we look at what it did for me and where it brought me and how profound it was and how impactful it was for me to surrender to it. There's romanticism in that, right? It's like, the, it's like my, my love story with myself, right? That is a love story. It's like how I really learned to love myself and to honor myself and to, and to heal myself. That is a love story, right? But the actual process, I mean, I remember, I'll never forget. I mean, it's like amazing how this was like three years ago and I can just like quote to you verbatim certain conversations that I had and certain moments and, you know, but I remember calling, calling my friend Tanya and being like, I don't want to get through this. Like, I know I have to go through the grief of this. Like, it's happening. I have to grieve this. I'm going to have to go through all the stages of grief. Like, I'm going to have to get through this and recover from this. And I don't want to. Like, I don't want to go through this process. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to grieve a divorce. Like, I don't want to fucking deal with this ever. Like, you know? So there was, like, a lot of that of, like, the, the resistance of like, I don't want to have to be doing this. Like, but it's like too bad, you know, grief shows up and grief is like, I'm literally not going anywhere. So like, do with me what you will, you know? But I was like, I don't want to have to recover from this. Like I was offended. I was like indignant. Like I have to go recover from a divorce. That was not the anger stage of grief. That is actually the bargaining, right? Like, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to deal with this. Because underneath that is, I wish I could just instead. Mm. Or I want to instead. So, so we're bargaining. My follow-up questions, one will yield a shorter response and one will yield a longer response. The shorter response is, I want to hear a little bit about what happened on the other side for you. And then I want to hear a little bit within, um, you know, reason of, of what you're willing to share is what was going on for Joey while, while this was all going on for you. You know what? I'd rather err on the side of like honoring his privacy, which it's like funny. We've had conversations in the past, like even when we were like divorced and I was like, there were times where I had considered just sharing a bit about like my divorce or my marriage. And I had asked him in the past, like, you know, would you be comfortable with me like talking about our story publicly? And he was like, say whatever you want. Like, it's your story. And I'm not like ashamed, you know? So in some ways I have his permission at the same time. I'd rather, okay, let me think if there is something that I'm comfortable sharing about his process. I will say this, I'll, I'll keep it vague. In those three, we each did work. There were actually two Tony Robbins events that we were each at at the same time, Ooh. this time period. Um, and, and we had like certain profound experiences at them. One, like one, like after we were divorced already, you know, so he also was going to workshops. Yes. He also did therapy in that time. He also did his own personal, his journey looked different than minded because we needed different things, right? We each had like what we contributed to why our first relationship didn't work. And so we each had our, our separate work to do. So, but we, we were each growing throughout it. That's the mm -hmm. only way that we were able to come back together, right? Is like, if we're each who we are today as evolved people. So to answer your question of does growth create distance? Yes. And I think that what happened with us also is that while we were still married, 
I started healing my codependency. So that's when I discovered that I was codependent and I started going to 12 step meetings to heal my codependency. And I started doing a lot of really deep inner work. And in that sense, there's, that started creating a gap in us because I was doing some really, really deep transformative work and he wasn't. And so growth did create distance within us, right? And a lot of times you have that in relationships where yes, I do believe that growth can create distance if one person is growing and the other is not. Now, with that, I wanna say that very rarely are you going to have two people growing at the same time? Like in the same kind of trajectory mm -hmm. for their independent personalities. Mm -hmm. And we have this thing of like, well, I'm growing, so you have to grow. And like, I'm ready for our relationship to get to like a higher stage and a deeper level and like get here. Like, I need you to be here. What's your opinion on like growth through osmosis? Again, bringing it back to like nutrition. Because I eat very often whole foods, my husband had over time become a lot more interested in eating that way because we hang out all the time. So you eat the same way your friends do. Growth through osmosis is inevitable. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that people know that. It is inevitable now. But it cannot exist through pressure. That's not growth. That's coercion. And right. what likely happens mm -hmm. is that if I pressure you into growth, not only will you not grow, but you will automatically resist it. And then we will enter into a power struggle. So even if you were thinking of growing, now you're going to have to enter into a power struggle just because as humans, we have a very, very innate resistance to being controlled. So it's like, I was gonna grow, I was gonna go to therapy, but now that you're making me, and it's like really our inner children come out and it's like, nah, -uh, I'm not gonna, and you can't make me, you're not in charge of me, right? right? So it's really growth through osmosis is inevitable and it is the only way. So what happens is, is that in most relationships, one person starts growing first. It's just like that. Like think of the last time you and your spouse or you and your best friend both got really excited about the same thing at the same time that both of you wanted to start doing. How many couples do you know that both fall in love with running and sign up for marathons at the same time? Unless they're like, you know, shluchim and they're doing it for their community, you know, right? Like rarely does that happen. So what typically happens is one person will start to grow first and that's okay. And then it's what happens next that's telling. So either the other person will watch, get triggered, then get inspired and then start their own journey, right? Like they'll see, like, I remember when I first started CODA, my brother would watch and I think it was like very triggering for him, you know? And he, I mean, he just like made fun of me for like two years straight. I mean, like literally made fun of my codependency and my meetings and my growth, right? And I get it. It's very triggering to watch somebody grow, especially when maybe you're not, or when, or when you see things in them and you're like, I do that too. And they're changing it. So now I'm confronted with the fact that I'm still doing it and right. You know, or you have to have a personal experience that is maybe, you know, aligned with the growth they're doing, but speaks to you. And so an example that I can give, um, you know, my husband listens to Shiurim on his way to and from work all the time. I will listen to, 
you know, super woke podcasts or, you know, very like super indie playlists. Like my car time is, looks very different than his car time, which is totally fine. And he's always like, I want you to listen to this year. And I do want to listen to it because we kind of are inspired by the same thing. But what I can't do is I can't do that tone of voice. You know, the tone of voice, right? It's like, <laughs> even if the message is amazing, I, I just shut down. And so um, what shifted a little bit over Sukkis was along with his sheer and listening to him, like totally ratting him out right now, but I think he'll love it is I know he'll love it. Um, is, you know, he'll listen to all the, all of this like super old Hasidish music. So it's not my vibe, but this, um, Sukkis, we were, um, with a bunch of Hasidish people where that was the music they were singing all the time. And I was so moved by it. We ended up making a joint playlist on Spotify where because I was moved by the live music and the unity of different kinds of people, that was how I was able to respond to his car time. So it had to happen at my own time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like these examples, I keep bringing up like super base examples because these are often the examples we're going to encounter. Because mm -hmm. you, if you have a life-changing changing experience at all, it happens once. But it's the daily stuff that constantly keeps cropping up that you can learn from a story like yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that relationships are built on small moments. Right. Like, you have couples like telling each other, like, I would do anything for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they say that when they're confronted with like, I need you to do this and you're not. Or like when they're called out and a defense response is like, I would do anything for you. And it's like, right. oh, I don't need you to do anything for me. Like right. maybe in 60 years of our marriage, there might be one day where I'll need you to take a bullet for me. Like it is right. possible. It might happen once, you know, right. 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 most often in our day to day marriage or day to day friendships, I need you to clear your plate after you eat dinner yeah. and I need yeah. you to come with me to a therapy session and yeah. I need to tell your mother that she cannot criticize your wife to her well like, even just to communicate the things that annoy you like when my husband comes back from out of town I'll say to him I'm just letting you know I'm retroactively annoyed by the double time that I had to do as a parent. So I'm going to put you in the doghouse for three days and make you do more tasks than you normally do. I'll feel better about it after, get a little bit of vacation from the kids, and then we'll recalibrate. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? I love that. Right. I mean, I hope so, unless he's like, I, I tuned her out. But anyway. <laughs> I and something I'm seeing in the comments, I do not think that you have to get divorced in order to reach this point in your relationships, okay? I just want to make that very clear. I do think that as more people are reaching, are reaching for deeper relationships, as growth and personal development and healing is becoming more of a priority for people, I think that relationships and partners are going to be invited to rise. They're going to be invited and encouraged to meet me here, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that this is a new-ish thing that people are now seeking in relationships where it's like in the past, maybe that didn't matter, but where we are today and the relationship that I am building and what is important to me here, growth is now on the table in ways that it wasn't necessarily in the past. And so this is, yes, a more common thing that you're gonna have couples or friends communicating to each other. I need you to start doing your work in order for our relationship 
to continue being strong or growing or evolving, or in some cases, for us to keep having a relationship. Mm. You know, I just want to respond very specifically. I do not believe that couples have to get divorced in order to reach this growth. I do believe it is deeply possible to do this work while in the same relationship with the same person. I also believe that more couples than you realize because we only see it once it hits outward, when they get divorced or when a couple breaks up or they get back together or whatever, that's when we see what repair and reconciliation and rebuilding looks like. But couples that stay married or stay together or friendships that last for decades have so many of these internal shatterings, internal ruptures, internal repairs, and no one's knowing because it's not like you're going to go to your friends and be like, by the way, I just want to let you know that like this past week, like, you know, my marriage as I know it completely fell apart. And the two of us have come together to create a new container for our relationship. People aren't talking about that enough, but that is happening deeply. The relationships that are long-term and profoundly connected over time, because like you could stay together for 50 years and be miserable for 49 of them. Like long doesn't mean anything to me, right? But the relationships that are deep and evolving and ever recommitting and growing are going through internal ruptures and rebuilds all the time. We become different people over time. We evolve, whether I change my with religion, whether I change my relationship with my mother, whether I change my relationship with myself, when I heal from codependency, when I cheat, when I am cheated on, when I when I work through my inner child stuff, when I learn to, to actually start expressing my own opinion things, when I all of a sudden tell you that I think I might be attracted to women as well as men, when I start realizing that I don't want to be a pushover, when I work through my anger management struggles, when I realize that I actually suppressed, you know, like the trauma of my parents getting divorced and now that's all coming up for me, all of that creates new versions of ourselves each time. And when I become a new version of myself, my relationship adapts to it and our relationship becomes a new version of ourselves. So you don't have to get divorced to do this work. Ideally, you do this within the same marriage. Like, you know, for me, I'm grateful that we got divorced because I know for us, I remember having this really, really profound moment. I was at a retreat and I turned to my friend and I said, there was no other way for us. We could never I would never have been able to do this work without the divorce. Knowing me, me, where I was, there were certain things that divorce itself triggered in me that I would never have gotten to if I wasn't forced into it. So for us, for me, the divorce was the right path. For you, it could be staying married, but building a new marriage within that. But it does require that at some point, both of you are going to have to lean into this work. One of you will likely get first. And then either through your change, through osmosis, your partner will watch and either they'll say, wow, like you are in a profoundly more beautiful place and I want that. That's one path of kickstarting them on their work. Another path is you start doing your work and you start raising your boundaries and you start saying that's no longer going to work for me and I love you, and I want us to work. And so you need to start making some, because my boundaries are shifting, my needs are shifting, right? So sometimes that kickstarts work. It really depends like how you get there. But 
eventually for a relationship to turn into its next stage, both of you are gonna have to show up. And I think that what's happening these days is people are just saying like, you have to start doing this work. I'm not like doing my whole like grandmother story of like, you know, for the last 15 years of our marriage, we were married on paper, but had no real relationship. That's not enough for me. So you're gonna have to start meeting me by doing your own work, you know? Mm -hmm. Really important to me to express that very explicitly, that that's my stance on all this. No, I, I think that was great. I, I know you had said that you were reading the comments when I asked that question, but I don't know if you're aware that you answered the question, which was talking about the, you know, the way that you give a, gave a disclaimer towards possible pitfalls and getting back together with an ex and, and what that could mean. And, and people fall back into previous relationships because it's comfortable for them and sometimes more comfortable than starting one from the beginning. And so by you coming out and saying, I, I'm getting remarried to my first husband, um, I appreciated the way you gave that kind of disclaimer where you said like, please don't make a blanket statement about all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and um, I think it's so important. I remember, it's so funny, if anybody watched The Bachelor, there's a couple, Ashley and Jared from The Bachelor, and I mean, they had like such a messy story, right? Like she was in love with him from the first moment that she saw him and he just like didn't see her romantically and wasn't interested. And she chased him and she pined for him. And it was like, it was like, so like, you know, it was so sad, like watching her just like continuously have her heart broken. And then, and then she like had to like get over him and accept that it, you know, and then like started dating somebody else. And then he finally like last minute in this romantic ending came to his senses and realized she's the girl for him and write all that. And I watched, they did like a YouTube special sharing their story. And I remember it stood out to me because it was like, I needed to hear that where they said, like, we are the exception. Like, do not think that you should just chase somebody who doesn't want you. And one day they'll realize. So it's like, there's a responsibility of when you have a story that is the exception is to express that, you know, it's like, please do not get back together with your ex unless they have done the work that Joey and I have done then have the most amazing time getting back together with your ex. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how was round two for you? How is round two? No, yes, but I mean, how was the beginning stage where you were kind of navigating, deciding what it was gonna be until you kind of both leaned into it and then now where you are today? Definitely, I think in some ways for me, I'm just gonna keep trying to speak for me about certain things. So when we were talking about reconciling, there was like another layer of grief actually came up for me around that because it was kind of like there was space to explore that. It was like there was an invitation for it, like it was safe to do that. So I actually like went through grief while deciding if I was willing to give this another shot, you know, and that was important to be like, what, what else is here that would need to come to the surface in order to be able to re-enter this and build something new? And, you know, I also keep using the word rebuild, and I'd like to stick with the word repair, but it's something that we're both, like, consciously, we have to keep, like, reminding ourselves and each other that it feels natural 
to think about rebuilding, right? And this is for any of you who are considering trying again to explore friendship again with somebody or to explore a romantic relationship with somebody or to explore, you know, connecting with a family member again, right? It's like this word rebuild. And this is something that we work on and something we come up to often is like, we're not rebuilding. We don't want that relationship again. Mm -hmm. We're not rebuilding that marriage we are building a new container it's not a renovation honey mm -hmm. it's not it's like a gut job yeah you know like round up yeah so it's like when you're thinking of you know having a relationship with somebody that you have had in the past it's like we're building a new one here mm -hmm. so what does that look like so in some ways i'm engaged to my ex-husband and in other ways, I'm engaged a new man, and we are building a new relationship. So that's like part of the, the dance that we're exploring, you know? Yeah, I love that. And so what are some general ideas that you can give to either people who are starting a new relationship or trying to keep their current relationships feeling new um, in, in a growth state or in a... I have such a good thing to say, but I don't want to share because it's private, but there's like some ways where I'll talk to my husband where he's, you, you almost want to keep having a crush on each other. So, mm -hmm. and I, I'm not using the word spark because I, I don't even know what that means, but my question basically is what are some general ideas where you can stay, you know, crushing on each other and as well staying in a growth phase together while absconding from anything that can lead to pressure phases of growth. I think it's something that will not surprise anybody to know is that chemistry has never been one of our problems. Right. Like, so I'm coming partially from that lens. I mean, if I was answering just as like a sex and relationship coach, I'd have a more like theoretical answer in that sense, you know, but let's say speaking for me, like we, we never struggled with chemistry. You know, like we never struggled with any of that. Like, um, so for us, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we genuinely like each other. Like, mm -hmm. I, I like him. I like his personality. I think he's, he is hilarious. Like, I, I laugh with him in ways that usually I'm the one making people laugh. Like, he's that. Acting for you which is very important to me. That was actually a surprise. I did not know he was funny until he got married. <laughs> so that was like a, a fun surprise. But like, if I wasn't so sexually attracted to him, we might've even just been able to stay friends, let's say in our divorce. Like I, we have a good friendship. And I think that's really important for couples to explore is like, could you be friends? Because if you could be friends, then you will enjoy doing things together. You'll enjoy hanging out. And that's where you, you create variety, right? A lot of, you know, there's the chemistry of attraction. And then there's the chemistry of adventure and variety and newness and novelty, right? So a lot of that has to do with, like, can you keep creating that in your life and relationship? So if you like doing the same things, if you enjoy each other's company, then you're more likely to go out, to like traveling together, to like hanging out, to like taking classes, to, you know, like um, he actually, he bought me um, as a gift once, which was like the cutest thing ever. You guys, 
I should actually reach out to the company and collab with them. But it's like date night in a box, you know? So it's like you get like date night in a box and you, and you like, so you have date night planned for you once a month, you know? So it's like creating activity and interaction and engagement in that sense. I think that really, really matters, you know? Like that company exists. I love that. Mm-hmm. I want really I want to I reach out to the company that he got me because they're really great. I want to see if maybe, maybe like offer it to you guys, et cetera. But um, yeah, so it definitely helps in terms of like keeping the spark alive. And the other thing is that it's so easy to fall into routine. And especially once you have kids, I imagine it gets even harder. So it's really, it's like your relationship has to be on your list of things you consciously invest in, things you consciously create. It's going to really come down to that. And an amazing way to close out part two, Alea on Kaylin My Teeth. Um, it is so much fun having you on. I always feel like we are covering ground that is stimulating and entertaining for both of us. And I think for everybody who's listening based on the feedback that I get. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks everybody for joining and your interactions and your comments. I love having these kinds of talks where the people are like interacting. Yeah. So for anybody who's listening at a later date, whether that's on the IGTV on my Instagram account, Rifty Rabinowitz, or Spotify and Apple under Kale and My Teeth, Please let us know where we can find you, what's next for you. You can find me on my Instagram, Alea B Coaching, and you can also sign up to my email list to get notified for things. I email very rarely. Hey guys, me what? and my autumnal foliage are signing out for the night. <laughs> good night, good night. And that's all for today, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love if you subscribed. And if you're really next level vibing, leave me a positive review so we can keep the circle of positivity going. Of course, you can find our guest's information in the show notes and find more of me on my Instagram and website at Rifki Rabinowitz and RifkiRabinowitz.com. Have a good one, okay? Stay cool.